Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey guys, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 87 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm here in Kathmandu, Nepal. And Sam Marks, where are you in the world? I'm in Denver, Colorado, not quite as cool as Kathmandu, man. Congratulations on uh, your trip to Nepal. I can't wait to hear more about it. Yeah, thanks. It's probably just as cold, though. It's it's, it's freezing here in the city. It's, it's just going to get colder as going to the mountains. Yeah, I've heard the uh, the flight into Kathmandu is pretty dicey, but like the landing, is it? A, it's like a really small airport, right? Yeah, but I've been to worse, so at the end of the day, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Great. Man, well, I just watched this this um, uh, documentary. Uh, is called On Yoga: The Architecture of Peace, and it took place in both Nepal, Tibet, and northern India. And it made me just want to go there and be there right now. So jealous and envious. Well, bro, if you can get here in two days, you can join me on my trek through the Annapurna circuit. Wow. So are you just are you staking it out for next year, or are you just there for uh, for, for pleasure as well? So my original plan was to stake it out for next year because I want to do the Everest Base Camp next year, hopefully with you. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what? What other hikes can I do? And I signed up for one called the Annapurna Circuit, which turns out is actually more famous or at least used to be more famous than the Everest Base Camp. Wow. Incredible. Well, I look forward to photos, videos, and content coming from you soon, sir. Yeah. But while we have a, a decent connection, because I don't know how long it will last, let's jump into this week's episode with Jordan uh, Goodman. So, Money Answers guy, this guy knows everything, Johnny. Yeah, and this is be exciting because the new kind of tax reform for 2018 under President Trump just came through, and it's going to mean a bunch of changes. And honestly, it's been hard to get just clear information. You know, be, usually if, if you kind of Google uh, Trump Tax Act, what you get is the two sides arguing about the you know about Donald Trump, and it's really hard to get actual answers on how does this affect us, how does this affect the economy, how does this affect business, and that's what we are interested in, regardless of who president you know who the president is. Yeah, absolutely. I think these changes are going to have a lot of effects. Obviously, the U.S. economy has been flying ever since the election and the world economy is not doing too much worse. So big changes. We're going to hear from Jordan what his take is on how the policies have affected things so far, how far the market can run and also good suggestions on how to invest in this new Trump economy. All right, so before we get started with this week's episode, I really want to thank everyone who's been leaving these great five-star reviews of the podcast on the iTunes store, but everywhere else you listen as well. So this week, we want to acknowledge Vic NYC. He says, Game Changer, five stars. In 2015, I was fortunate enough to do the classic test case for what comes up in the podcast. What do you do if you find yourself with a million dollars? In my case, I started devouring the top investing podcast at the time, which only left me with classic paralysis of analysis. As soon as I came across Invest Like a Boss, he calls it ILB, I knew I found a game changer. <laughs> I've listened to half the catalog in less than a week, and I've taken more substantial, actionable steps in that week than all of 2017. More importantly, the guys are so transparent that you feel like you are right there along with them, mulling the pros and cons of each investment. Best part, I've immediately shared the episode advice for 17 to 24 year olds 
with my fresh out of college younger to shift his mindset. Younger brother, I'm assuming. We are now working together to come up with passive income business and breaking away from the nine to five mentality that is so ingrained in us. Lastly, hearing about those travels, community building efforts and philanthropy really inspires you to think of the time and network as an investment. Keep up the good work bosses. Wow. I'm going to upvote that as one of my favorite Love reviews. It. So yeah, big thank you to Vic NYC. And if you guys want to see all the reviews and leave your own, just go to uh, either the iTunes store, click on the app, wherever you listen to this on your phone and spread the word. And you know, without further ado, I'm excited to get into this week's episode because this is a topic that I've been confused about personally. And I think a lot of uh, you guys listening don't realize how it's going to affect you, whether you're an American citizen or not, because it's really going to affect the world. Let's get into this episode with Jordan Goodman. Welcome back to this week's episode. We have on Jordan Goodman. Jordan, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Sam and Johnny. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Well, listen, I was looking over some of your past endeavors in finance. You have quite the impressive history, and I get the impression that you've been asked just about every single possible question that one could ask in your career. That would be true. <laughs> That's why I'm called America's Money Answers Man, because people ask me questions, both people like you that are kind of really into it and the novices. I just love to help people. There's a tremendous amount of financial illiteracy in this country, and I'm doing my best to help people learn all the techniques, investing, but not only investing, mortgages and credit cards and insurance just there's just a lot of need for people to do better with their finances and that's that's always been my mission absolutely we feel exactly the same i know you've written 14 books what which one right. of those 14 was the most enjoyable to put together i would say probably i did fast profits and hard times which came out in 2008 mm -hmm. which came out right before the economy fell apart so that was well timed right, <laughs> that, worked, yeah. that, that helped a lot of people uh, the one that sold the most that's had the biggest impact clearly is the Dictionary of Finance and Investment Terms, mm -hmm. which I first came out with in 1983, and it's now in its ninth edition. I'm just finishing off the 10th edition that sold about three and a half million copies around the world. Jeez. Every um, business school, broker training class, library around the world. It's in many, many languages. That is the dictionary. I literally wrote the dictionary of the field. So, so that's is it, probably the biggest impact. That's that's incredible. Congratulations on that. And thanks for thanks for taking the time and putting that out there. I'm sure that has helped a very tremendous amount of people. You said three and a half million copies have been sold. And I guess right. all the new editions that you're putting out is just because there's all these new terms coming out all the time each year, right? Absolutely. I mean, for example, and we're going to re lead right into this, the new tax law that yeah. just was passed at the end of 2017 changes all kinds of things that didn't exist uh, before. So I have to update the dictionary for all the new tax laws. And that wow. happens. Every of the tax laws since the early 80s are in there with all the details of what changed, different rates. I mean, the whole world has completely changed from six months ago because of that tax law. Uh, and, and new terms, I'll just give you one example mm -hmm. that didn't exist in the previous book, Brexit. Okay. <laughs> if I told you three years ago, what's Brexit, you'd have no idea what I'm talking about. And today it's shaking the world. So right. there's always new terms that come along in these things. Wow. So that's in, in a sense, it's basically like a life work for you. Oh yeah. It never goes away. <laughs> that's cool. I, I, I would like to have a life work like that. Maybe, maybe one day, but, uh, it's great. yeah, it's we'll, great. we'll leave it's a link to that in the show notes for sure. So <laughs> I'm talking about tax law. We're pumped to have you on. This is, is quite timely. Um, you know, I don't really understand all the implications of the new, you know, Trump economy and the new tax reform, I'm still wrapping my head around some parts of it. I've been speaking to my CPA to see what will affect, you know, me personally and some of our listeners. But 
we thought it would be great to kind of dive into not the the absolute nuances and little details, but kind of the high level of what the Trump economy means. We have, you know, rising interest rates and obviously a lot of uh, a big tax reform and kind of get your opinion on that and see what at the end, what you might recommend as asset classes and different types of investment vehicles to play off of that. It's a different world than we had under Obama, putting it mildly. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it seems, uh, I mean, seems like that might be yeah. another statement in a lot of ways. But just on the economic front, I'm talking about, mm -hmm. okay, and the tax front and the regulatory front. Uh, under Obama, we had very low interest rates for a long time. We almost fell off the cliff in 2008. Um, and they just pumped up the economy dramatically. The Federal Reserve under Bernanke and then Yellen doing quantitative easing, buying huge amounts of bonds. Remember, 60, 80 billion dollars of bonds a month, pouring about four and a half trillion dollars into the economy, which saved it from going over the edge. So that was a good thing. <laughs> but now we're kind of unwinding all of that on the monetary side. Uh, they've stopped quantitative easing a few years ago, and now they're raising rates, and I think they're going to continue to raise rates for quite a while. They call it normalizing. But it means that people are going to pay more in their loans is what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. Car loans, mortgages, student loans, small business loans, all these things are going up uh, a lot. Uh, meanwhile, the banks are sitting there paying nothing on deposits. They can get away with it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the bank's profit margins are widening under Trump because they charge more but don't pay more. So that's a big difference from where we had before because the bank's margins were squeezed when they weren't paying. They were paying zero, but they were charging zero as well. So. Mm -hmm. This is a much better situation for banks. The whole regulatory framework is completely different. I mean, Trump's goal is to get rid of as many regulations as possible. And Obama's goal is to add as many regulations as possible. Dodd-Frank financial regulation, just massive amounts of regulation of the whole financial world. Environmental regulations, labor regulations, uh, health care, on and on it goes. Mm -hmm. So Trump has been trying and succeeding in many cases to dismantle everything that Obama put in his eight years. That's a dramatic change in the economy. Some people like it. Some people don't like it. For businesses, it's good. Okay, right. You have less regulation. You can go and do business, which is what a lot of companies are doing. So that's a major, major change. And I think it's going to continue. All the people, not only Trump himself, but all the people he's bringing into the agencies are trying to tear down all these regulations, whether it be education with Betsy DeVos, uh, energy with Rick Perry, environmental with Scott Pruitt, all of them, they're just dismantling every regulation they can possibly get their hands on. And that's that's positive for the economy. Uh, the people protected by those regulations may not be happy about it, but that's a major, major change that's, that's happened here. And then clearly the tax bill is a complete change from before. Under Obama, they, they raised taxes. Uh, they wanted to punish the rich. Uh, you know, They were worried about income inequality. So take from the rich, give to the poor. It never works out that way. Yeah. Uh, but this is a complete opposite. This is the, the tax bill. The vast majority of the benefits, the dollar benefits, go to higher income people and corporations. That's mm -hmm. not an opinion. That's just a fact. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the question is, what are they going to do with it? Okay. They, there's basically three things that companies can do with their windfall. They're now paying a 21% tax instead of 35%. Three things they can do, invest in their business, capital expenditures, raise wages, raise bonuses, make their business stronger in various ways. They can buy back stock, which reduces the number of shares, which means their earnings per share go up, and they can raise dividends and executive compensation. Now, some companies are doing some, some are doing others. I've actually been pleasantly surprised since the bill was actually passed in late December at how many companies are investing in their business. 
They've had bonuses. They're raising wages, new capital expenditures, uh, training the workforce, just putting the money back in the business, which is going to pay off for them. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all very positive for stocks and for the economy uh, long term. Um, so that's on the individual, on the corporate side. Mm -hmm. On the individual side, again, the vast majority of the dollars are going to go to higher income people because the brackets were widened and the rates were lowered. Uh, so just to give you one simple example of many, Sam, so mm -hmm. before the tax reform, the top tax rate was 39.6% on 600000 or more in income. Now it's a 37% rate on $400,000 income. So you see, and, and then a lot more income is being taxed at lower rates. So a lot of rich people are going to get a lot of money back on this thing. And again, what are they going to do with it? They can invest it. They can save it. They can pay off debt. They can spend it. All these things are putting money into the private economy, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a big bet on the private economy. And I think as a result, growth is going to be higher, already is, and I think it's going to continue to be higher in the private economy. So mm -hmm. all that is positive. The downside is what you mentioned. Interest rates are going up. I think interest rates are going to go up a lot more from where we are right now. The 10-year treasury, which for most of last year was around 2%, is up to about 2.9, almost 3%. I think it's going to go to 3.5% or higher uh, because of more demand for money. If companies are borrowing to do new projects, that, that's uh, more demand. And particularly the government is mm -hmm. demanding a huge amount of money. The auctions of treasuries recently have been huge, $250 billion a day for three and four days. Unbelievable. Because they're making up, remember they had the debt ceiling, they couldn't raise money for a while. Now that that's been released, the floodgates are coming with treasury offerings. So that puts upward pressure, more supply and less demand. Remember the Fed Reserve's not buying anymore mm -hmm. and the Chinese aren't buying the way they used to as well. So I think the Trump era is gonna be one of rising deficits, rising interest rates and rising economic growth. So when we talk about rising interest rates, you know, ever since I've been investing or even studying the economy, it's always pretty much been interest rates going down. So I've never really looked at things or invested in things with rising interest rates. And that sort of scares me because I don't have the experience to know what to do or what to invest in. But I would assume rising interest rates at a very minimum will put somewhat of a cap on home prices increasing because it's just going to cost a lot more money to buy houses for people that are going to have mortgages. Bit, yeah. I mean, there are several factors that affect home buys, home purchases and home prices. Uh, the income and people moving into a particular locality is the most important thing. When you have people moving in, I'll just give you a dramatic example, mm -hmm. Seattle. Okay. Mm -hmm. Amazon, it's, they're going to rename Seattle Amazonville or something. I mean, it's just right. buying the whole place out. Well, they're, these are people making good incomes. And there's a tremendous shortage of housing in Seattle, okay? That's what's driving Seattle prices much more than mortgage rates. So, yes, higher mortgage rates make it more difficult and more expensive for people to buy homes, but it can be overwhelmed by demand hmm. uh, in a case like that, or San Francisco with San all Francisco, the tech workers, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yes, rising interest, you've already seen a dramatic fall off in refinance activity because it doesn't make sense to refinance at 4.7% or whatever because a lot of people – have already refinanced. So uh, that's definitely going to slow things up. But I, I, we're not going to kill the housing market. What makes the housing market do well is job growth. And I, there's still plenty of that. In fact, there's a shortage of housing in many markets. There's bidding wars for, for houses because there's just not enough stuff to, for people to buy. Hmm. Interesting. So last year, we had a huge run up after the election in stock prices. And into this year as well, we've just had a, a recent pullback 
But did you ever anticipate, I, I can remember watching the election and it was, you know, Hillary versus Trump. And I, I, I want to say the market or the Dow dropped to about 15 or 16 when Trump got elected or it looked like Trump was going to get elected and then it popped the next day. But we're, we're talking like a Dow Jones, 15, 16,000 during the election. And now we're talking, we're looking at it's 25,000. Do you think that that run up was mostly the anticipation of the tax reform? And do you think that there's a lot more room that it can go? I think there is a lot more room it can go. And yes, it dropped the night of the election because people were shocked that Trump got elected and dropped the Dow dropped whatever, six, seven hundred points at four in the morning. <laughs> and then by the time people woke up, said, well, maybe this isn't going to be so bad. And it, the market hadn't even opened before it had recovered <laughs> yeah. the losses of that night. Uh, but the fundamentals are very strong for the stock market. It's not only tax reform. That certainly helps. But deregulation is a big part of it as well. Companies have been burdened by huge amounts of regulations, and that's slowing up and really helping companies do what they want to do. I'll just give you one example. Oil and gas. Okay, They were being restricted by all kinds of environmental regulations, and they couldn't lease on foreign lands. Just All that's gone. Okay, They're like pumping like crazy. And that's true in many other industries. By releasing regulations, companies can do a lot more business, mm -hmm. and that helps economic growth. So that's a big part of it. The stock market is always a forward-looking, anticipating animal. So it going up so strongly in 2017 was telling you the economy was going to be strong in 2018, and here we are. The economy is strong and getting stronger. Mm -hmm. The tax reform kind of turbo-boosted what was already a stronger economy by giving a windfall to companies, as we talked about, having more money to invest in their businesses, increase dividends, buy back stock, help mm -hmm. their employees – all that money is now going to be filtering into the economy in 2018. The tax tables were changed, and now they're just starting to filter in. People are taking home more money in their paychecks because the tax rates went down a little bit. That's all. also more money in the private sector. So it's a combination of things, and I think the market's going to go much higher from here. We're roughly 25,000 the Dow. Uh, I think we could well go well over 30,000 this year, probably like 31, 32,000 on the Dow uh, this year. Um, I'll, I'll give you three possible things that could go wrong. Okay. War with North Korea. Yeah. Nuclear war is not positive. Okay, mm -hmm. I'll tell you that right now. War in the Middle East. It's very complicated with Syria and Iran and Israel and Iraq and Turkey. There's a big powder keg there. If something mm -hmm. goes off there, that would not be good. And the third one would be a trade war. And uh, we've already had a few skirmishes. Uh, Trump put some tariffs on solar panels and washing machines. He's looking at doing it for aluminum and steel. Uh, these other countries like China and Korea could retaliate. Um, so we'll see. I hope that doesn't happen. But those are the three kind of what economists call black swans that are mm -hmm. out there that could kind of upset the apple cart. But if those three things don't happen on basic fundamentals, the economy is really roaring globally. And that means higher stock prices. So, so you see geopolitical threat. For a lot of especially younger listeners, we always want to know about the debt. We don't understand how, you know, Trump's wants a trillion dollars for infrastructure. We don't understand how you can just continue to to build and build debt, although it seems like we're getting away with it, uh, even though a lot of countries historically haven't. Do you you don't see debt as an issue in the next two or three years well, under Trump? It's an issue, but it's it's manageable. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the debt compared as a percent of GDP, the United States is about seventy percent, something like that. If you go to Japan it's 250 percent. Okay, mm -hmm. they've been spending like crazy for decades, and it's slowed them up. But they're still doing okay. China is 
like 300% of GDP is in debt. Huge amount of debt there. So we're not Venezuela. We're not Zimbabwe. Okay, We're not like Greece. We're not a place that just has nothing there and is mm-hmm. overwhelmed by debt. We won't We've be the first domino to fall, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's concerning. Mm-hmm. Trump has never worried about debt in his life. He's <laughs> That's been, true. <laughs> He's thrived off of it. Consciousness. He, yeah. he, I think at one point he called himself the king of debt. I mean, he, he would build casinos. He would buy the Plaza Hotel, sometimes with his own money, sometimes with bankers' money. He he had four bankruptcies, uh, like the Taj Mahal Casino and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's just not in his DNA to worry about debt, basically, is what it comes down to. And Very what's been point. amazing is Congress, at least the Republicans, have all gone along for the ride here. Yeah, right. The deficit talks <laughs> have flown the coop, I guess you might say. It's funny how the tables turn and one, one administration does one thing, the other screams, and then they do the same thing and, and then they're just exactly. all, all partying. Under Obama, <laughs> you know, they were going to close the government down if they didn't have the sequester and all that. Yeah. The most recent budget deal, sequester, gone. Just go for it. You know, another $300 billion with defense needs. You've got to rebuild Puerto Rico. I mean, just whatever you want, just spend on it, basically, and we'll, we'll worry about it later. So... Okay. That's a big difference that you have the Republicans going along with all the spending and borrowing, where under Obama, they were resisting like crazy. Yeah. Well, I love what you said about the what corporations are doing with reinvesting back into their companies and to growth. And I made an observation. I posted this on, on Facebook just last week. And it may have been because I had just spent six weeks in Brazil and South America. And I came back to the U.S. And for the first time that I can ever remember coming back to the U.S., I just saw everything was changing. I I visited, I think, 20 cities in the U.S. over the last three months. And every city I saw improvement. I saw infrastructure changing. I saw businesses expanding. I saw old warehouses being reconstructed into great food markets and microbreweries. You know, you interact with banks. Banks seem to be doing better, uh, offering better service, better payment options. It just seems like everything is starting to level up in the U.S. And I don't know if it's too soon to call that causation or correlation, but it just seems like the U.S. is going through some somewhat of a you know a leveling up phase. And I'm I'm, I'm happy to see it, and I hope that in part that is because companies are reinvesting in themselves. Well, it is a large part of all this is psychological. Mm-hmm. People felt under Obama that they were the enemy, you know, and he, he, I remember he gave a speech on wall street and was, they're all sitting right there and said, you rich people are too greedy and we need to take your money and redistribute it. Basically is what he was yeah. saying. That, that doesn't go over well. I mean, here Trump, you may like it, you may not like it, but he's catering to the corporate chiefs and the rich people who have the money and say, we're going to give you more. Now do good things with it. Go out and invest in your company. And uh, I mean, we've had one company, I think it's been 600 companies that have either raised wages, raised the minimum wage, given bonuses to workers, announced billions of dollars in capital expenditures Mm -hmm. to reinvest in their companies. That was not going to happen under Obama or Hillary Clinton Mm -hmm. because they feel uh, rewarded and they feel like that's a good thing to do instead of a bad thing to do. Uh, On top of that is the repatriation of literally billions of dollars from overseas. Apple alone was going to bring back about $250 billion dollars um, build a second headquarters, hiring another 20,000 people, building new facilities here. Mm-hmm. Foxconn, Boeing, I just go through one company after another, mm-hmm. are putting plants here because the tax rates are lower, the regulation is lower. It's like, I always say capital moves where it's most welcome and it avoids where it's hated. Right. <laughs> okay? yeah. And that's exactly what's happening. We're lowering tax rates, lowering regulation. 
we're attracting, and we don't even know what all this money is going to be done with huge reinvestment of this repatriated money from, it's something like $4 trillion overseas. Yeah. And a lot of that's going to be brought back here. And they got to figure out what to do with it. Now, the big need for it is infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Now, how this is going to work is still unclear. President Trump put out a plan where he said the federal government would be $200 billion and the private sector would be like $1.3 trillion, something like that. Uh, private sector wants to invest in infrastructure that pays off. They want toll roads they can charge tolls for. They're not going to do a pipe somewhere that doesn't have a payoff. So some of the infrastructure can work that way, but a lot of it is something only the government's going to be interested in doing because there's no way a private sector player is going to make money from it. Well, so, if, you, if you give Elon Musk a trillion dollars and ask him to figure it out, he might do a pretty <laughs> damn good job. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, look what he's doing without money from the government, you know, with exactly. the SpaceX and all these kind of things. So oh. it, it, the private sector, once unleashed, is, is quite powerful, and we're, we're seeing that. And it's not only happening here, but around the world. You see what's happening in Asia, many, many you know, mm -hmm. private sector uh, growth vehicles and so it is a very good time, and I want your listeners to take full advantage of it. I've got some specific ideas about how they can do it, but I would agree with you. This is a very optimistic time. You can't worry about whether we're going to have North Korea war. I mean, it may happen, but if we all get nuked, it doesn't matter anyway. So I would kind of put that out of your mind and invest yeah. in what's going on in the real world. As long as you're not in Hawaii, you're probably out of out of their reach, <laughs> or probably outside of Japan's, probably out of their reach, but who knows? So before we get into some of your favorite asset classes in this new economy, what is there anything that you would have liked to have seen got done in the in the tax reform that didn't actually get included in this one? Wow. Uh, simplification. <laughs> that yeah. was completely thrown out there. I mean, the only thing that's simplified is they raised the standard deduction from 12000 to 24000 So the average family, the first 24000 of income is tax-free. So like 85 or 90% of people are not going to have to itemize anymore. That's that's a positive thing. Yeah. But a lot of new rage changes of all kinds. Um, so, and, and the other thing I'm a little concerned about is the pass-through, I guess you call it the loophole, where if you have, you're a pass-through entity, meaning a subchapter S corporation, an LLC, a limited liability corporation, a limited partnership, the first 20% of your income is tax deductible that way. And so now everybody's going to want to become a pass-through entity. Mm. If it's legitimate, that's fine. But you know, say you're a baseball player and you you not you don't work for the Yankees anymore. You work for Derek Jeter Inc. or something. You know? Right. <laughs> it, it can it can be abused. Now they talk about guardrails, but I'm still not clear that accountants are going to come up with crazy ways to make people into pass-through entities uh, and kind of abuse the law. So that's an area I, I like the idea of incentivizing pass-through entities, because all the job growth in this country is from medium and small-sized companies. Many mm -hmm. of them pass through. So hopefully, they'll get this tax break, and they'll use it to reinvest in their businesses and grow and hire, because you'll get a good multiplier effect from that. Yeah. So I'm hopeful, but I know accountants, they're going to look for every possible way to avoid taxes, and, and that's a big loophole they may drive through. I'll definitely be speaking to my accountant about that for some hopefully deductions is something I had no idea about, but interesting. I'm, I'm, that might also play into think of how many independent drivers there are now, like with Uber and all these, these car right. sharing companies, those all could be, I guess, technically 1099 pass through uh, companies as well on the individual yeah, level. And that would make sense because they yeah. are working for themselves. Those right. are legitimate ones, but it's where you work for a company and then like you become a consultant and all your money goes through that way. That's where there's potential abuse. Gotcha. All right, so asset classes. Jordan, give us some of your favorite asset classes. We've obviously had a run-up in a lot of asset classes, especially stocks, uh, over the last six months, year. 
what do you like for, you know, considering what we've discussed and getting rid of the geopolitical events that could be on the horizon? Yes. What do you like yes. over the next three, four years? So let me give you three ideas. The first one are what are called secured real estate funds. Now, people have today what I call the saver's dilemma, which is if you keep your money in the bank, CDs, money market funds, savings accounts, you get zero. And you're going to continue to get zero as far as the eye can see. The banks see no reason to pay more in deposits. Meanwhile, if you have your money in long-term treasuries, as we talked about, and interest rates keep rising, as I think they will, you are going to lose a lot more in principle than you're gaining in interest. If you buy a bond today, a 10-year bond at 2.9%, and rates go up to 35 to 4%, you've lost... 15% of your principal versus 3% of income. That's not a winning combination. No. Okay. So for people who, this is an alternative to cash and bonds are these secured real estate funds. So what they do, there's a new law that was passed in 2012 called the Jobs Act of 2012, which authorized what are called crowdfunding vehicles. Mm -hmm. They're called Regulation A-plus funds. And a lot of people, relatively new, people aren't familiar with them. But basically what it does is it allows the average individual to get into something that previously was only big institutions, you know, $100 million plus. Mm -hmm. So these secured real estate funds allow the average person to get in for $5,000, earn an 8% yield over one year. You can get monthly checks, if you like, automatically deposited into your checking account. Or if you don't need the money, reinvest it. So your money is now compounding at 8%. The net asset value does not change. It stays at $10 a share. So mm -hmm. it doesn't move up or down. So as interest rates rise, your capital value will not fall in a secured real estate fund. Uh, there's a website for it, securedrealestatefunds.com. Okay. Find out all about this little video about it. You can actually invest right online without even talking to anybody. And basically what they're doing, Sam, is they are lending money short-term to commercial real estate projects all over the country, maybe mm -hmm. 30 different states, assisted living, student housing, uh, retail, apartment buildings, parking lots, just all kinds of different projects all over the country. Mm -hmm. The reason the borrowers are willing to pay a higher rate, they may pay 10, something like that, is because they have such a hard time getting a loan from banks these days. Mm -hmm. Because of the Dodd-Frank regulations, we talked about this a little bit, the banks are still having a really hard time making loans and it could take a year or longer, and then you get rejected anyway. <laughs> so it's like, right. that doesn't, I want to do my project. Okay. I don't want to wait around to go through the bank's process. Mm -hmm. So they get them the money much quicker. And the concept they use is what they call collaborative lending. The fund is like a partner with the borrower developer to make the project happen, as opposed to the bank is like the enemy, basically. Right. And as a result of that, they get a higher yield. And actually, when the project is sold at a profit, some of that flows through to the investor in a profit-sharing distribution on a quarterly basis. So you get 8%, what's called a preferred return. You get that before management gets anything, plus potential profit-sharing on a quarterly basis on top of that. I love um, it. So that, to me, is a, the perfect solution to the saver's dilemma. Earning zero in the bank, losing money on long-term bonds. Here you get an 8% yield, and you can do it inside an IRA. You can do it outside an IRA. Uh, for a lot of people who have cash or bonds, that to me is a good alternative. And I believe those are also available for non-accredited investors because Correct. of the Jobs Act, correct? Correct. Yeah, Whereas nice. in the past, it would have been only accredited investors where you have to have a million dollars in assets or two or $300,000 in income a year. And correct, uh, 5000 if you got 5000 the check clears, you're in. You don't have to right. worry about it. Uh, so that, that's a real – I like that the average person is now getting access to things that in the past would have been completely – 
unreachable or only for wealthy accredited investors. Me too. That's I great. agree completely. I'd be curious to know what else you mentioned you're investing in this. How do you, I mean, you, I imagine a guy with as much knowledge and experience as you manages a lot of his own personal wealth himself. Is there any, any asset classes that you particularly like in your own portfolio? Well, I mix it up. I, I mean, I consider the secure real estate funds as a kind of a safe or mm -hmm. secure kind of asset. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would consider the oil and gas more speculative, and it depends on what's happening with uh, oil and gas prices, but I happen to think they're going to stay pretty high. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a little bit of cryptocurrency. The way I do it is there's a, a Bitcoin investment trust, the symbol GBTC, which is a pure play on Bitcoin. Huh. Wildly volatile, <laughs> but it trades like a stock. Yeah. I have not yet opened an account at Coinbase or Bittrex and done all the wild and crazy trading on that i know about it but i haven't actually done it right. yet. um so i i'm doing cryptos the the chicken way i guess you might say through a publicly traded stock mm -hmm. and i do it the indirect way which are the companies that feed the crypto market mm -hmm. my two favorites there would be nvidia nvda which makes all the graphics chips yes that are used in the bitcoin mining farms i also bought that as a similar play nvidia's wow, done yeah. great that's awesome right? And another one's Overstock. Overstock.com has what's called the uh, Medici division, which is doing the backbone behind a lot of these cryptocurrency exchanges. Mm -hmm. And those stocks have both done very well. You know, when they had the gold rush in California in the 1850s, the people that made money were the Levi's that gave them the, the jeans and the pick and axe people, right? Yeah, funny. So it's the same thing with cryptocurrencies. Make money not off the cryptos directly, but the people supporting the cryptocurrency Absolutely. areas. I mean, by far the fastest growing industry in the world today is Bitcoin mining. And mm -hmm. it's just insane. All these places with these hundreds of server farms going 24 hours a day with all their algorithms, eating up all the power in the world. Oh, God, it's, it's going to be a crisis how much energy that's required to support this ecosystem. It is insane. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess you could buy utilities because they're going to be selling a lot of electricity to these Bitcoin mining farms. Um, so... Anyway, so I have a mix of kind of conservative things like the secured real estate fund. Oil and gas fund is for income, but it's got kind of a play on that. A little bit of Bitcoin and then diversified. In all, I see trends, mm -hmm. and I like to play the trend, okay, as opposed to doing – I mean, NVIDIA and Overstock would be two specific examples. I'll give you two trends that I like. Mm -hmm. I think biotechnology is going to do well. Lots of companies – and part of the Trump administration is they're approving drugs – much faster than the past. Scott Gottlieb is the new FDA commissioner is getting these drugs out there. Well, that helps biotech companies where all the innovation is coming from. So you can buy individual companies like a Celgene or Regeneron or Biogen. I like the ETF for all the biotech companies, which is IBB. It's got okay. like 20 of the biggest biotech companies in there. I think that's got a good future. And one other I'll give you is I like what are called exponential growth companies. So most companies grow incrementally. Mm -hmm. But some companies grow exponentially. Mm -hmm. And actually, NVIDIA is a good example. Yeah. Okay, they, they have a chip that has a trillion transistors on it. The next one has 10 trillion. <laughs> it's not a trillion and one. Each one's going exponentially. So there's a lot of companies that are growing exponentially. And there's an exchange-traded fund called the Exponential Technologies Fund, the symbol for that, XT, that has the 200 largest, fastest-growing exponential growers in the world. So you don't have to be an expert in these things, but they're in every industry. Yeah. They're in chips, they're in retailing, they're in uh, biotechnology, 3D printing, cloud computing, driverless cars, every fast growth industry out there 
in one place in XT, you get them all in one place. So that sounds massively so, appealing. That's like all <laughs> so the things I want to invest in rolled into one. All in one place. Yeah. It, it went public about two years ago at about $20 a share. Last I looked, it's about 37 something mm-hmm. like that. So it, it doesn't shoot to the moon, but every day it kind of keeps going up a little bit. The way I look at it is you've got the 200 fastest growing companies in the world working for you. And it's not only domestic, about two-thirds of it's around the world in every growth industry there are. So, and see, I like the trend, mm-hmm. but rather than putting my money on one or two, I like the, an ETF that gives you a broad, diversified way to play yeah. that particular trend. Now, quick question back on the biotech suggestion. Would, does biotech encompass healthcare as well? Because I, I have this Vanguard healthcare fund that has been a dog well, for the last part of seven years, and it just yeah. like, it hasn't, hasn't gone, up, gone up at all. And I'm like, maybe I'll sell it. But I also kind of have the same view with with, health, with a lot of the innovations that are being done in science and and farm that, but I guess I should look at the individual holdings. So of the that. healthcare fund that you're in, mm-hmm. it's going to have hospitals, it's going to have traditional drug companies, it's going to have all kinds of things. Mm. Biotech is a specific subset of that where all the innovation is going. That's on. the fun stuff. Yeah. So it's more volatile, but in the long run, I mean, if if Biogen comes up with a solution for Alzheimer's that they're mm. working on, that could be like a fifty billion dollar drug or something. Yeah. Jeez. You know? And they're working on it, and they're making progress. I mean, there's lots of companies. But again, I'm not an expert on every moment as to what biotechnology's company is going to have a breakthrough. So I'd rather get an ETF and get them all in, in one place. Right. Well, Jordan, just a, a question. This is First off, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, I would, I'm really curious on on your website, moneyanswers.com. You have, you're a lot, basically just answering questions in one aspect to a lot of listeners. I know you've been doing this for many, many years. What's the most common question that you're routinely asked by, you know, your audiences? Yeah, you're right. I have a lot of resources and links. I've got a YouTube, Money Answers YouTube channel where I have videos. And I try to give as many resources and help to people as possible. This is not in the investment area, but I'll just tell you something, Sam, that a lot of people are not aware of at all, which is called the mortgage optimization strategy that literally allows people to pay off a 30-year mortgage in about five to seven years on their existing level of income. That just blows people away as how that's possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a website for that too, truthinequity.com. And I won't go through the details of the whole thing. Basically, you're using a home equity line of credit, a HELOC, mm-hmm. to feed your first. You keep your income in the HELOC, pushing your balance down every day. And instead of making a very small amount of progress on your, your mortgage principal every once a month, you're making progress on your mortgage principal every day at an accelerating rate. And the bottom line literally is you can pay your mortgage off in about five or six years on your existing level of income. Hmm. That blows people away. Love it. Love it. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a ton of fun, certainly very educational, and we're looking very much forward to sharing this with the listeners. Thanks so much, Sam. Really appreciate it. Always glad to get their emails at moneyanswers.com. To all the listeners, we'll leave links to Jordan's material in the website show notes. Check it out. He's written 14 books. I know people will find a lot of value and interest in these and stay tuned to Johnny and my takeaways in just a second. Bam. 2018 tax reform under the belt. What do you think, Sam? <laughs> I just, I, right after that, that recording ended, I was like, dude, you're such a smart guy. I just can I come like sit in an office with you for a couple of weeks? I love people that just switched on and really just have a grasp of everything. You get the 
impression that you could ask Jordan anything and he's going to have an answer that is locked and loaded and ready to go. Yeah, he would definitely have an answer. I don't know, you know, if any of us can predict what's going to happen in the future, especially with investments, but definitely smart, in tune guy who's obviously thinking about this all day. Oh, yeah. So I'm listening to this book on Audible right now. It's called The Upside of Inequality. Very similar narrative about unleashing the private sector and how powerful that is uh, in, you know, in a, in a private economy. So I don't know, man, Warren Buffett just came out and he was, he's sitting on a ton of cash. He's like, everything looks super expensive, but you do get, you do get the impression that things could still go a lot further. Yeah. It's this weird thing. Like I think in retrospect, everything is 2020 obviously, but I regret sitting on so much cash this, this last year or two because I could have been making, you know, eight percent, ten percent, twelve percent in real estate, or I could have been making twenty six percent in index funds if I just had everything in. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Well, we can all look at, uh, at the hindsight of the last twelve months for sure. And I love that he got into and was recommending these. Uh, these real estate funds. I know you just put money in PPR, but it seems like more and more people are really, really liking these secured real estate funds and, you know, peer to peer loans, security, uh, collateralized secure back. So I'm, I like these things. We've always liked them, but it's good to hear experts and people putting their own money into these as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think a big part of making money and building wealth and not just you know earning money on paper is how much you get to keep after taxes and i think that's something that nobody talks about enough maybe we think about it once a year during tax season but then the pain of writing the irs that big check goes away you forget about it or you think you're helpless and there's nothing to do but in reality there's so many things we can do to structure our lives especially if we have kind of either financial or location dependence to really figure out hey how can we structure our business and our life so we can pay the least amount of tax possible. Well, I can tell you one thing. There's this little place called Puerto Rico. And for U.S. citizens, you can get a free lunch there. We got an episode coming up on that maybe as early as next week, Johnny. Okay, I'm excited for that because I've heard a lot of things (laughs) about people moving to Puerto Rico and the tax benefits for that. It's also near the U.S. Lots of uh, benefits of being in a similar time zone, close by. So we'll see how that works out. But what do you think of the 2018 tax reforms under President Trump? Well, I think all in all, it's good. I, of course, like Jordan would have liked to see things get cleaned up, simplified. I mean, going back to to like the 1920s, you basically got a postcard and you wrote like two or three line items and then you just send in money. Maybe one day we can get back there, but for now, the tax code in the U.S., 70,000 pages, by far the biggest and most complicated in the entire world. But, you know, less regulation, things are moving in the directions of direction to being more simplified. I'm generally positive on the tax reform. There's a couple of things I would have liked to seen get done, but I think all in all, it's better than where we were a year ago. So I'm happy and I hope things continue to be more simplified. And generally, you know, I'm a I'm a capitalist, man. I like low taxes. I think unleash the private sector, let it do its thing, and everybody prospers from it. I like it. So, if you had the golden keys for a year and you can just rewrite the whole tax code from scratch, what would you do? Oh man, I probably I probably would try to reduce income tax as much as possible 
and tax consumption slightly higher. But oh man, there's so many ways you can play it. Like you could do it. You could do a flat tax. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's tricky. I don't know the government books that well. So I've even heard one theory that we don't even need to tax the way that the U.S. is printing money. That they they just tax through inflation. So you could literally just print money every year, and that's the tax. You know, you don't have, you can stop taxing income. But there's you know, depending on who you ask on the right, left, center, you're gonna get all different types of opinions. But I think this is a step in the in the right direction, and I'm not gonna try to reform the tax policy right here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. <laughs> I'll okay, take on man. that challenge. Now, so I, yeah. I, I honestly, I, I think the the complications of it is because there's seven thousand pages of tax code that you have 70,000 70,000 oh my god (laughs) that you have to kind of patch up almost i think we need to start over i think you know there there needs to be a competition where the world's best economists you know minds should just each submit a proposal and it has to be a limit It it has to be clear and concise and say it has to be 10 pages or under or something and that way, we can kind of just very clearly see what would be involved. We can kind of compare apples to apples and say, let's just start over and just pick this one here. Yeah. I mean, most of the 70,000 pages right now are types of exemptions and loopholes that that lobbying groups have gotten put in over, you know, however many different presidents have gotten into office over the last, you know, 70, 80 years or even more. They lobby, they fund these campaigns for these presidents, and when the presidents get in, they help put in these additional exemptions and loopholes, generally for large corporations. But it, basically, it's just a huge mess right now, and most CPAs don't understand the tax code, and the IRS doesn't, so it just ends up being whatever you submit, hope you don't get audited, and hope it's all correct to the best of everyone's knowledge. But it is a mess, and we definitely need to clean a slate at some point. I'm sure we will in our lifetime, but I don't think it's going to happen in the next 8, 10, 12 years. Well, I hope it does because it, I agree it's a complete mess. I think it'd be so much easier if we just closed all loopholes and said uh, no exemptions at, at all. And, you know, with maybe a, a tiny, tiny, like, few couple of things. Um, like, I don't know. I, I, I almost think let's, let's start at zero and then and work that way, way, way back up and have a, a smaller flat tax. And that way, instead mm-hmm. of there being an insanely high tax that nobody wants to pay – and the richer you are, the bigger of a company you are, the more incentive you have to hire the best lawyers, the best accountants, to find loopholes, uh, you know, pay for lobbyists to enact you know, special treatment. Let's get rid of everything and let's have a very fair tax that everybody pays, you know, whether it's 15% or whatever it is. And I am willing to bet that if everybody actually paid 15% with no loopholes, the U.S. would actually have a lot more money than trying to charge and gouge people 40% and letting you know people have the incentive to find these loopholes yeah and also the the way the tax structure is right now it sort of creates this class warfare because you have oh i think it i think it's like 48 percent of the u.s does not pay federal income tax and 52 percent does but then you have the 48 percent that don't pay income tax federal income tax voting for higher taxes on the you know the what's going to be probably the minority of people that are paying federal income tax. So it's it's complicated, but I'll tell you what, this one, the, the deduction thing, the standard deduction now for people like you and I, John, is $10,000. Instead of having 
and, and certain uh, exemptions and write-offs are no longer. So in a way that, that that simplifies things a lot. I think for a married couple, it's 24000 instead of 10000 But now for like my parents, they don't have to itemize all these little write-offs each year because they're no longer allowed to write those things off. But instead, they just get a, a crisp, clear $24,000 write-off. And it keeps things simpler for them, keeps things simpler for the IRS. So like I said, I think that's a big step in the right direction. If people really like this and it's cleaner for the IRS, then maybe we'll see more of it in the future. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited about that, especially because I don't really have any deductions right now. I don't have a house or mortgage to, to write off and mm-hmm. everything else would be under the business. And actually, one thing I was trying to figure out, because I know that he mentioned it in the episode, but I'm still unclear about it, is what is the 20% pass-through deduction i don't know uh but i need to i need to get mario our cpa to answer that so what we'll do is once we launch this episode we'll post it in boss lounge and then we'll have mario shed some clarity on that exemption because that's something that of course affect you and i hopefully in a positive way yeah and i think this is actually going to affect a lot of people listening to this episode you know, or listening to the show that you know are entrepreneurs that own small businesses because if we can get a 20 percent kind of free ride or deduction off of, you know, wh- whatever amount we make. That is amazing. Oh, show. All Pretty right. money, baby. Let's do so it. So big thanks to big thanks to Jordan for coming on, man. He's a great guy. Looking forward to hearing more from him in the future and hopefully have him back on. I love chatting with him and glad we got this episode out. Pretty timely, right around tax reform, economies on a tear, lots of new knowledge and insight to move forward with, buddy. Yeah, definitely. So check out Jordan's website. It's moneyanswers.com and post in the boss lounge if you have any questions or just wanted to start a discussion about taxes. This is also a great episode to share with your friends who might be curious about the new tax bill and want some straight answers from the answer man himself. So (laughs) go ahead and screenshot this episode, share it on your social media, tag a friend. And thanks again for leaving those great reviews on the iTunes store as well as wherever you listen to the podcast because you guys are the reason why we're able to get these experts on every week, even from the Himalayas. Right. So sorry if there's any disconnection or audio issues on this. I think it'll come out clean. But if it does, we know that we're just in exotic places right now and part of the love and joy of podcasting on the road. Johnny, have some good fun hiking See some photos and videos from you soon, and let's catch up next week. All right, guys. See you all next week. Stay bossy. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment folios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.